The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. And we're back, roused from our turkey tryptophan comas uh, following Thanksgiving. We're back for another edition of State House Takeout. Hi, folks. Colin Young, Katie Lannon, and Matt Murphy. Howdy. Hey, Sam. Howdy. Hey, Sam. Uh, now, Matt, uh, you reported for us this week that Kirsten Hughes is leaving the helm of the state Republican Party after six years as chairwoman uh, of the state party. Uh, what sort of a legacy is she going to leave behind? Yes, yeah, Sam, we actually found out this week that she had notified members of the uh, Republican State Committee uh, back on November 16th, well before Thanksgiving, that she had made up her mind uh, post-election and that she would not be seeking another term in January uh, to lead the Mass GOP into the next presidential cycle. And uh, Kirsten Hughes, a Quincy City Councilor, has been uh, at the helm of the Mass GOP since 2013 after working on Scott Brown's uh, Senate campaign against Elizabeth Warren. And uh, she's really had quite a, a long run if you look at the past uh, 10 years of party chairman on both sides of the aisle. Uh, six years is a pretty good stint. And if you look at her record, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a mixed bag. I mean, she can point to twice uh, helping to elect Governor Charlie Baker, Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito, giving the Republicans, you know, arguably the top a spot in state government. Uh, but over that time, uh, the party has also seen pretty stagnant growth at the ranks of the legislative uh, level. You know, some Republicans look at that and think it's a win, uh, that they went through a presidential cycle. They managed to hold on to the gains that they made in 2010. They didn't really lose much ground. But others, including some who are vying uh, for her job now, say that it's not enough to just remain static. And there is already buzz about potential candidates. Uh, We heard from three of them this week. Um, Where's the party going? Yeah, so we know at least two people who are definitely running. One uh, is Brent Anderson. He has been uh, the longtime treasurer of the Mass GOP, worked under Kirsten Hughes, uh, seen as more of an establishment Republican candidate running to replace her. Uh, On the other side, you have Rep. Peter Durant, who despite being a Republican uh, incumbent legislator, is seen a bit more as as an outside force. Uh, He is running. He says it's time to change things up. Uh, He has uh, actually emailed uh, the state Republican committee members uh, the same day that Kirsten uh, announced that she was not seeking another term uh, to lay out his detailed vision for what he wants to do. And that includes a lot more training of candidates. I spoke to him and he says that uh, he wants to make sure that uh, the next crop of Republican candidates know uh, not just what it takes to get to be a legislator, but what it takes to be a candidate and how to communicate that message and and really how to run a solid campaign. He thinks the party doesn't do enough of that. And then you have the third wild card, and that's Rep. Jeff Deal, who, of course, ran against Elizabeth Warren, uh, lost that race, has been open about the fact that he was thinking about running for the Mass GOP chairmanship, and he was waiting on what Kirsten Hughes was going to do. We now know what she's going to do, but he still hasn't made up his mind, and that could have a big influence on the race. Now, Deal, as a U.S. Senate candidate, is somebody who Baker, running for re-election, tried to distance himself from. Uh, Is Baker going to weigh in on this race in any way? Yeah, I spoke to some people around the governor, and they say right now he's waiting to see how this all plays out, and he's not getting involved. 
I'm sure you remember a few years ago, he played an active role in installing a number of loyalists on the state committee, uh, perhaps just for this purpose, should this opening arise. And, and the governor was a big fan of Kirsten Hughes. Uh, but so far, he is staying out of this. And there's some indication that this may not exactly play out on those ideological lines, like a, a Jeff Deal, Trump Republican versus versus someone like Brent Anderson. Uh, you know, I spoke to Peter Durant about uh, Kirsten Hughes's legacy and where he wanted to take the party. And he talked about uh, being uh, more open to letting people run based on what their districts want to see. And he said, quote, uh, Charlie Baker had a good formula for winning, but it doesn't work for everyone. So we need to broaden this party. So, uh, you know, he's he's running on a platform of allowing people to, uh, you know, be who they are and uh, run for what makes sense for their district. If you're running in the Berkshires or you're running on Cape Cod. So uh, it may not exactly be a conservative versus moderate uh, contest as we uh, move into the January election. All right. Thanks, Matt. We'll be watching. Katie Lannon, you were down at the South Bay Jail on Tuesday where Suffolk County Sheriff Steve Tompkins unveiled a new specialized housing unit. Uh, What sort of a unit is this? Yeah, that's right, Sam. The mayor, the sheriff, Suffolk District Attorney-elect Rachel Rollins, and a few other officials all gathered here at the jail to mark the opening of this new unit, which actually opened in February, but now it's been up and running long enough that they're kind of confident in opening it up to to kind of public view this way. The unit um, houses men between the ages of 18 and 25 who are incarcerated at the South Bay Jail. Um, They don't have a similar unit for women because it's a a smaller population. Um, And this unit gives them access to programming, mentoring, education, and, and job training in kind of a enhanced way, more than that would be available in other units of that jail. The idea behind it is it'll help prepare them for reentry, provide them with support with the goal of reducing recidivism. Um, there's higher rates of reoffending among the younger population. And it's all based on kind of the, the science and the ideas around brain development. Um, one of the researchers who spoke at the event said, you know, it's kind of something that all parents know, right? But science has backed up that young people are less future oriented, more Um, influenced by their peers, bigger risk takers. And because their brains aren't done developing yet, the idea is that they're they're well positioned to respond to these kind of interventions to change something to rehabilitate. Um, And actually, Middlesex Sheriff Peter Katusian earlier this year, also in February, opened a a similar unit in his jail. So it's something that seems to be a little bit of a trend. So is this something that we'll see more of in other counties? Or uh, is this something that might get addressed here at the state level uh, on Beacon Hill? That's really a good question. Um, it, It does seem to be something, this population, these demographics, that folks on Beacon Hill and more broadly have been paying extra attention to Um, This past year in May, a group of lawmakers went to Germany to look at how they handle over there the population that's known as emerging adults. And um, I'm sure you remember the major major criminal justice overhaul that was signed into law earlier this year. That had language allowing expungement of some juvenile records. Um, And as part of the debate in that bill, the Senate had backed the idea of including 18-year-olds in the uh, juvenile justice system, which currently stops at age 17. That didn't end up in the final bill, but interestingly, one of the big proponents of that kind of move is now Senate President Karen Spilka. Um, She's one of the people who says it increases the odds of rehabilitation. Not everyone is sold on the idea of raising that juvenile court age. Um, I asked Boston Mayor Marty Walsh about it. He says he'd rather see more of a focus on prevention, but 
Rep. Russell Holmes, who's one of the kind of major players in criminal justice reform efforts here at the State House, he said he expects to see another push around it. Um, Vermont this summer actually did take that step. They moved 18 and 19-year-olds into their family court system, becoming the first state to raise juvenile jurisdiction beyond 18. So this is all something that people might be looking at, um, particularly as part of a task force that was created in that criminal justice overhaul. They've got until the summer to study how to tr- how the criminal justice system should t- treat people between 18 and 24, um, including the possibility of raising that juvenile jurisdiction age. So something else to watch long term, I guess. Certainly. And we'll see what they say in July. Sure will. All right. Thanks, Katie. Now, looking ahead, we turn to Colin Young. Hey, Colin. Hey, Sam. So it's that time of year again. Sure is. We say that phrase a lot around the holidays, but it's that time of year again, and State budget writers are starting just next week, the process of uh, assembling their fiscal 2020 budget. And that fiscal year starts on July 1st next year. Uh, So their forecasting challenge is now before them. uh, And you've noted that it's going to be a formidable one. Uh, Economic and state budget experts will be asked to make their predictions uh, covering a period that starts in about seven months and ends in 19 months. And this is quite a task ahead of them. Uh, tell us a bit more, Colin. Yeah, Sam. So this is, uh, like you said, the time of year that everyone has to get out their crystal ball and try to predict the future. Ah, quite um, right. And, uh, of course, it's uh, there's a lot hanging on their prediction. It's uh, the very first decision that goes into uh, building the state budget. Uh, so as uh, the Ways and Means Committees uh, prepare for next week's hearing, uh, times are good in Massachusetts in many respects. At least that was the message this week uh, from UMass Dartmouth economist Michael Goodman, who spoke to a conference of state investors uh, down in the seaport this week. Uh, he mentioned state uh, unemployment rate, 3.5%. Uh, state GDP, grew at an annualized rate of 3.3% in the third quarter. Uh, Tax revenues are coming in above benchmark. Um, Business confidence is good, and growth in the Massachusetts economy has been outpacing growth at the national level. And what's been driving the growth here, at least recently, has been the state's low unemployment rate uh, and the recent federal uh, tax cuts, part of the new federal tax law. Uh, But both of those things also compose possible risks for the economy, Goodman said. Uh, First, we'll start with the federal tax cuts. Uh, You might remember, uh, Sam, that earlier this year, or really uh, late, late last year, uh, once that new tax law uh, passed, the state saw a surge in tax payments. Uh, Goodman said that was one of the real benefits of the federal tax cuts, But he said that their effect is really sort of a sugar high, is his Mm -hmm. phrase, uh, on the economy, one that certainly isn't going to last. Uh, And at the same time, there's another federal policy um, that's sort of counteracting those tax cuts. If the the new tax law was a benefit to the state, the federal government's uh, tariffs, these are tariffs that the president has either imposed or is proposing, Uh, threaten to stifle economic growth here. Uh, Goodman compared the tax cuts to putting your foot on the gas of a car. And he said at the same time, the tariffs act like filling your trunk full of lead. Hmm. And looking at the labor force now, the low unemployment rate uh, may also be pointing to some potential trouble uh, there. Goodman said that there are now more open jobs than there are people looking for work. And the skills of those people looking for work often don't uh, fall exactly in line with the 
jobs that are open and the, the jobs that employers are looking to fill. Uh, and just a quick note here, because I found it interesting. We always uh, hear a lot about how um, the growth since the end of the Great Recession has been sort of centralized uh, in and around the Boston area. Uh, but the Boston Fed this week put some actual numbers to that that I thought were fairly interesting. Uh, the Fed said that between 2007 and 2017, the net change in employment uh, in Suffolk County was mm-hmm. a positive change of 20.4%. Essex County saw the next greatest uh, increase, a 12.2%. Yeah. And uh, Worcester County saw a 9.5% increase. Uh, meanwhile, out in Berkshire County, uh, they've seen a 10.4% decrease in total employment oh. since the end of the Great Recession. Hmm. Uh, and elsewhere around the state, uh, Nantucket and Dukes counties were both in the negatives. Uh, and places like Hampshire and Hamden County uh, were just barely in the positive, having uh, increased employment by about half of one percentage point. Hmm. So combined with the federal government's desire to restrict immigration, uh, the tightening labor market in Massachusetts uh, really could be a signal that uh, economic growth is going to be constrained here. So do forecasters have their eyes on any other issues over the next year, year and a half? I know that uh, you've said that Goodman also had something to say about the possibility of a recession on the horizon. Yeah, and that's going to be an important, uh, certainly it's important for everyone to keep their eye on that, but uh, absolutely important for the uh, House and Senate Ways and Means Committees to keep an eye on the possibility of a recession coming over the horizon. Uh, Goodman uh, pointed out that uh, economists haven't been really great at predicting uh, the next downturn uh, over the years. So at this investor conference uh, this week, he instead presented uh, data from a survey of a number of economists that the Wall Street Journal conducted earlier this year. That survey uh, showed that about 60% of the economists they surveyed said that they expect the next recession by the year 2020. Of course, that's important because the consensus revenue hearing uh, next week is supposed to lead to the best guess of economic activity in Massachusetts through mid-2020. Sure, sure. All right. Thanks, Colin. We'll be down there in the Gardner Auditorium next week. We'll see you there. Yep. See ya. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.